from the heart of our nation's capital. Here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up. There are many more questions about what happened in Afghanistan that must be answered. It's the duty of this committee to find the answers. That was Congressman Mike Rogers, the ranking member on the House Armed Services Committee at the opening of today's committee hearing on the annual National Defense Authorization Act. We'll get an update on the hearing, which will be going on uh, late into the night from Indiana Congressman Jim Banks, a member of the committee and also chairman of the Republican Study Committee. Also, was the exit from Afghanistan the extraordinary success that President Biden claimed yesterday in his address to the nation? And was the president, uh, was his hands tied to the withdrawal by the Trump administration's previous negotiations with the Taliban? We'll answer those questions when we talk with the former Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, later here on Washington Watch. And speaking of the exit from Afghanistan, reports continue of Americans and Afghans allied with the U.S. that are still trying to get out before the Taliban gets them. Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson is demanding answers about why the military turned away Americans from the Kabul airport uh, in Afghanistan. He joins us in just a moment. Also, we'll get a first-hand update from one of the hardest-hit areas from Hurricane Ida. Pastor Steve Fulmer, uh, First Baptist Church in Houma, Louisiana, will be joining us a little later here on Washington Watch. And speaking of Hurricane Ida, FRC is helping And we invite you to join with us. We'll match every dollar committed up to $25,000 to go to support the work of Samaritan's Purse and the churches that are hosting them here in the state of Louisiana. To join, simply go to frc.org slash relief. Also want to encourage you to download the Stand Firm app. That way you can stay connected with Washington Watch no matter where you might be in the world. But more importantly, you'll have action steps at your fingertips when you need them to address the issues that you need to address. Remember, our republic was made not for spectators, but participants. So you need to be involved. Download the Stand Firm app and stay up to date on what's happening nationally, in your state, and in your local community. All right, the the self-imposed deadline of August 31st for the withdrawal from Afghanistan has passed, but the fallout is just beginning. No one knows the exact number, but most think it is significantly higher than President Biden's acknowledgement yesterday of 100 to 200 Americans left behind in Afghanistan. The president has repeatedly assured the public that he is committed to getting out anyone who wants to leave Afghanistan. But there are reports that are emerging of Americans who have not received the assistance that they were promised. Here's what the president said yesterday Uh, in his speech to the nation. Play clip number five, please. All right, we'll get to that uh, clip in uh, in just a moment. Uh, the, The president stating, we remain committed to get them out if they want to come out. Secretary of State Blinken Uh, is leading the continued diplomatic efforts to ensure a safe passage for any American, Afghan partner, or foreign national who wants to leave Afghanistan. End quote. That's what the president said. Um, Does America have the leverage to get these Americans out diplomatically? I'm going to be talking about that with my uh, next guest, when uh, our first guest, 
uh, when he joins us, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. He is the ranking member of the Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations. Uh, in fact, I think we have him now. Uh, Senator Johnson, welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, Tony, hope you're doing well. I am. I, I want to go uh, first before I go to the issue that you specifically raised questions about, and that is uh, the um, the Americans that Chad Robichaux was trying to get out of Afghanistan. I, I want to get your thoughts on the president's speech yesterday to the nation on the conclusion of the Afghan war and the withdrawal of American troops from Afghanistan. Well, it's actually jaw-dropping. It was uh, for him to declare the withdrawal an extraordinary success is it's just not facing reality. And that is, of course, one of the problems we have with this administration, whether it's uh, uh, the crisis on the southern border, the you know, incredible out-of-control deficit spending and increasing of our debt, and now this uh, debacle that is the uh, uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan. Um, he's just not willing to recognize reality. So, again, here on planet Earth, that was an unmitigated disaster. And as you pointed out, uh, Chad Robichaud, I, I spoke with him uh, Thursday morning, uh, last Thursday morning, and then he went public with uh, what uh, his group uh, was seeing. That, And let's face it, the, the administration's actions are not matching their words. Uh, th this was a group of buses that uh, had made it to uh, one of the gates that was not particularly well guarded by the Taliban, and it, it included American citizens, uh, children. Uh, I think 100 Christians was uh, the report. And th they got in they got inside one gate, and the battalion commander, apparently a colonel, uh, said, no, the recovery's over, and did not let them in. We, we've seen other reports now, some, some uh, real-time texts, uh, a similar type of thing occurring where uh, we had American citizens there, they're waving their passports. They'd gotten by the Taliban, and uh, U.S. command, you know, U.S. personnel would not let them on the base. So uh, I, I can't imagine a U.S. commander in that situation turning them away. So that individual had to be acting on somebody's orders, either a generalized or specific order. And so I, I've written uh, an oversight letter to uh, Defense Secretary Austin as well as uh, uh, Secretary Blinken, and find out how did this happen. Uh, are they investigating this this instance? And again, it's it's just a further indication that the, the administration's actions are not matching its words. And that should concern all of us when it comes to, you know, the uh, the refugees coming in here. Uh, are are they are they fully vetted? I, I have a hard time believing they are. Now, Senator, in your letter to uh, Lloyd Austin and uh, Secretary of Defense and Secretary of State uh, Blinken. Uh, you gave them a deadline of August the 30th to answer your question. I'm wondering if that's a deadline that they uh, were so committed that they had to meet. No, and, and that's a problem across the board uh, with oversight. Uh, administration officials simply don't think they have to comply with the congressional oversight. Uh, and that, that's a real problem. Uh, our congressional oversight authority and powers have been degraded over the decades because we really have no enforcement power. So the, the only enforcement power we have is to put public pressure on the administration to come clean right. and answer a few questions. So uh, ho hopefully they, they will uh, feel the need to be honest with the American public, but I'm not holding my breath. Now, now, uh, Senator Johnson, let me ask you this question, because yesterday the president addressed this in passing. He said, you know, we, we may have 100 to 200 Americans that uh, 
um, are in Afghanistan. And if they want to leave, we're going to work to, uh, to get them out through diplomatic means. First off, uh, do you trust that number that we're looking at just simply 100 to 200 Americans that were left behind? No, I'm, I'm not having a great deal of faith in anything the administration tells us. Um, you know, the, the other thing, I'm quite sure we left behind people that, you know, Afghanis that risked their lives uh, working beside you know, the, the finest among us, the members of our military. I, I know the people in Wisconsin I'm talking to, the former Afghanistan veterans, are just incensed of what is happening here. I mean, they made not only did they believe we had a national commitment to these people that uh, fought alongside us and are in grave peril. Uh, inside Afghanistan, but they made personal commitments. Uh, so much to the point where, you know, Chad Robichaud, he's, he's, not a mil- he's not on the military or in the military, but he's a special operations individual who's raised funds for other former special ops uh, uh, personnel. That They went over there. They were, you know, outside the wire. They, they were rounding up uh, right. American citizens and, and other people as well because they didn't have faith in this administration doing its job. Yeah, I'm uh, very familiar with Chad, former Marine, uh, Marine veteran who is uh, working, was working over there to get um, Americans and uh, their allies out of uh, Afghanistan, as as many others were doing. Uh, you know, there, there are there are many, Senator, uh, those that served in Afghanistan now out of the military, committed to the mission and built relationships with those Afghan uh, citizens and uh, members of the Afghan military that helped them, served alongside them, and they know that they're now targets. And so they risk their own lives to go over there and try to help them get out. In the reports I'm getting in my conversations, I'm sure it's the same that you're hearing, they're very frustrated that our own government is standing in the way of them trying to help the very people who helped America. And I fear the gov- the people on the, on the ground there are following the orders of the, the higher ups from the president on down. Um, and you know the the other thing, Tony, when when we were going through this evacuation, this withdrawal, uh, there were so many people involved in the evacuation that were alarmed at what they were seeing. That again, the the the, the story that the administration was telling just wasn't accurate about how carefully vetted all these people are. That they were reaching out to. Uh, members of the Senate, uh, members of Congress like myself, uh, and, and raising the alarm bell and saying we, we, we need to be far more careful, we need to be vigilant, and they, they fear we're not. Let me ask you this question, Senator Johnson, as you look at the oversight here, and, you, and I, we've seen this from day one, a reluctance to be candid, to allow the oversight process to, uh, to work, What's next? How do we get answers? What, what's it going to take? First, you have to ask the relevant questions, and you have to ask them publicly. Uh, hopefully, Democrats will cooperate and actually hold hearings and call the administration officials before Congress. Uh, we're having, uh, you know, we just I just got off a all Senate call with the uh, the top administration officials, but they're really not. You know, it's just it's just the same old rhetoric. Uh, telling us the exact same thing, uh, saying the right words, but again, we're, we're finding out their actions aren't 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 uh, following their words, and you know we need to be concerned about what is what are the short-term and long-term ramifications of what I consider this just be a disastrous decision. Uh, I don't I don't yeah. think we ever should have completely pulled out of Afghanistan. We should have left special op 
operations personnel in Bagram Air Force Base. It's a key Air Force Base. It's strategically right. located. Why would we want to give that up? And why would we completely uh, drop all of our support for the Afghanistan security forces who were fighting and dying for their own freedom? Right. And we did not have that many military personnel there that was holding the Taliban at bay and keeping peace and, as you said, securing a very strategic uh, airstrip for us. Uh, Senator, we're, we're out of time, but I do want very quickly one last question. Are you concerned about the threat that Americans may now face with what has unfolded there in Afghanistan? I am. You know, you, you now have a, a country where you can have al-Qaeda, you can have ISIS. People want to kill us. Uh, they can plan uh, pretty much unmolested. You know, this over her, the horizon uh, capability is, is uh, uh, let's put it, far, far less effective than having a, a base right there. And then I am concerned about the vetting process of these tens of thousands of uh, people. Again, a lot of them, I'm sure, are, are, the, are folks we do want to, to successfully integrate, but we need to be very careful. Yeah, I, I share that concern. Senator Ron Johnson, as always, great to talk with you. Thanks so much for coming on the program today. Stay well. All right, uh, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. Look, I, I think the, uh, the awareness of the concern is going to grow. In fact, that'll probably be one of the topics I uh, talk about with our next guest. Coming up next, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo weighs in. He'll be answering some of these questions. Was this an extraordinary success as the president claimed? And the president repeatedly said yesterday in his speech that basically his hands were tied by the negotiations of the Trump administration with the Taliban. Is that so? Secretary, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo joins us here on Washington Watch. When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for his kingdom, to grow us and to bring us closer to him. God's Word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading Scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's Word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in His image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org 
prolifemaps. Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to uh, have you with us again. Let me encourage you, if you'd like to help in the uh, the relief, relief effort of what's happening uh, here in Louisiana and uh, in Mississippi, Samaritan's Purse down here on the ground. We're working with them, partnering with them. Uh, go to frc.org slash relief. FRC is putting forth uh, $25,000 as a matching uh, challenge to our listeners to, to help these uh, storms and different natural disasters becoming more frequently across the country. And I think it's a great opportunity for the church to minister. So go to frc.org slash relief. President Biden and his administration say they will continue leading diplomatic efforts to ensure safe passage for any American or Afghan partner or foreign national who wants to leave Afghanistan. President making that commitment yesterday in his speech to the nation, as he said, America is out of Afghanistan. So was the withdrawal a success, as the president said? Uh, and was this administration, were their hands tied by the Trump administration, as he said yesterday? We're going to talk about that next with my next guest, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Uh, Mr. Secretary, welcome back to the program. Tony, it's great to be back on the show with you. Hope you're doing well today. And I'm praying I for am, all the people down in Louisiana that were impacted. Well, and I know week. you've got family ties down here, so you know what it's like. Yes, sir. Uh, well, let me let me jump right into this. I, I want to pr- play a uh, a very short clip of the president yesterday in his speech to the nation, where he said uh, the withdrawal was a success. The extraordinary success of this mission was due to the incredible skill bravely, and selfless courage of the United States military and our diplomats and intelligence professionals. Now, uh, Mr. Secretary, you were involved in conversations with the Taliban. You know very well that landscape and what was happening. You knew the challenges that faced the country in leaving Afghanistan. Is the president correct? Was this a success? We left Americans behind. We left our Afghan allies behind. Is this a success? Tony, it certainly was not a success. He described it as an extraordinary success. It certainly wasn't that. Uh, It wasn't even a success by his own metrics, right? He promised that he would get every American home and and didn't deliver on that. It didn't have to be this way, Tony. The the truth of the matter is he, he chose a political deadline, originally September 11th, right? That's an important day in American history. He chose an arbitrary political deadline and said, we're going to be out by this time. 
but didn't account for the conditions. And if you ask the central difference between how President Trump and I approach this problem set and how President Biden and his team approached it, they, they were determined to set a date certain. And while we are thrilled and we think it's the right thing to do that we've got our young men and women home from this 20-year struggle in Afghanistan, the exit, the, the messiness, the absence of coordination, the poor planning, and then the ultimate result, which was the loss of 13 American lives, now Americans still on the ground behind a bunch of equipment in the hands of the Taliban butchers. Those didn't have to be uh, the conditions-based withdrawal that President Trump and I had worked on for an awfully long time was the right path forward. Sadly, they threw out the conditions and simply withdrew, and you can see the debacle that has resulted from that. I want to be very clear about that because I don't think there's any difference of opinion there in terms it was time for America to get out of Afghanistan. We've been there for 20 years. Um, You know, at some point in time, we had to end it and get out. That's what the Trump administration had been in discussions about. So I don't think there's any issue there. It's it's how we got out and what occurred as a result of that. But let me I'm going to go back because I want to address this issue, because several times yesterday in the president's speech, he pointed back to the previous administration, his predecessor. And I'm going to quote from him. My predecessor had made a deal with the Taliban. When I came into office, we faced a deadline. May 1st, the Taliban onslaught was coming. We faced one of two choices. Follow the agreement of the previous administration and extend it uh, to have or extend, I'm just reading the transcript, or extend it to more time for people to get out or send in thousands of more troops and escalate the war. Was that the two choices? No, that's a false choice. And and President Biden knows better than that. Uh, He he knows that what he said there is not reflective remotely of what they found when they came in on noon on January 20th. Uh, we'd worked with the Afghans in the north. I, I spoke with them. I spoke with uh, NGOs, women's groups, uh, religious groups. Uh, we spoke with every Afghani constituency that we could find, including the Taliban, and we set down conditions for each of them, the things that would have to take place before America could fully depart. And we worked it. We worked it for two and a half years while I was Secretary of State. We went from from about 15,000 to about 8,600. We stopped. We paused. We evaluated the conditions. We made another decision. It would go about 4,500 to see if we could still maintain the order and stability and protect America's interests. We did so successfully. And then President Trump, who who wanted to get everyone out, made the decision to go to about 2,600 or so. And again, we evaluated the conditions. And when we left that day, that's where it was. We entered into agreements with the Afghan government and with the Taliban back in February of 2020. Those understandings said, if you meet these conditions, America will do the following things. These conditions were to to deliver on the things that matter to the American people, keep our soldiers safe, make sure we could get everyone out, break with al-Qaeda, all of the things that we demanded of the Taliban. And the, the, the president had no obligation to withdraw those troops on a date certain. We never put a date certain in place. I don't think President Trump would have ever directed me to have done that. And when you do that, when you pull out of Bagram, when you tell the bad guys this is the day we're leaving, you see precisely the kinds of results that we got. So what was the May 1st date that he made reference to, he kept making reference to? This was a target date that was set out in the agreement, uh, both with the Afghans and with the Taliban. It was the target date. This this is the day that if you all do the things that are outlined in this agreement, this is the day that we think we can remove all of our forces. But as you well know, it, it didn't proceed that way. It certainly didn't proceed that way in January on our watch. But President Biden didn't pull out in May either. <laughs> so the idea that they had to either be out in May or uh, reinforced with tens of thousands more troops is just false on its face. It's factually inaccurate. It's not what President Biden actually even did. 
No, these these were a set of conditions, and each time we made clear to the Taliban, you harm an American, you put an American at risk, we're going to impose real costs on you. And we did that. There were, there were Tony, several times that the Taliban moved in places they weren't supposed to move, consistent with their promises. And when they did so, we reigned American power on them. We had a model set up. It worked. It delivered the outcome. We were down to 2,500 soldiers, Tony, and we still didn't have Kabul overrun. We didn't have provincial capitals right. overrun. We still had zero attacks on any American. We had not American killed in the last 18 months. It was only when President Biden made the fateful decision to pick that date certain and withdraw everybody right. before we had all the Americans out, before we had the conditions right, that you saw this tragically executed withdrawal. It was a debacle. I mean, Mr. Secretary, we're up against a break. I want you to hold on, and we're going to continue this conversation uh, on the other side. Folks, stick with us. Uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, my guest, we're going to continue our conversation right after this. Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAND to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. My guest, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, discussing America's withdrawal from Afghanistan. President Biden's speech to the nation yesterday. Mr. Secretary, thanks for sticking with us. I want to go back to you. In fact, I think you got some criticism. Uh, from your conversations uh, with the Taliban and, and working to get out of Afghanistan, even from conservatives back when that was taking place. Were the Afghan, well, let me go back, were, were, were the Taliban leaders, were they meeting the criteria that the Trump administration had set out so that you felt like there was a point in time in which we were going to be able to successfully 
with re remove all American presence from Afghanistan? Well, Tony, we, we, we never trusted them. We never believed in the words that they'd say. We simply watched how they executed on the ground. And so as they did the things that they'd committed to do, we began to reduce our force posture, our uniform military force posture. We were we were determined to get these folks back home. But we were mindful each time that it had to be based on the conditions that we had laid out for them, the demands that we had made from them. We never promised them any money. We didn't bribe them. We didn't suggest that we had leverage by providing American taxpayer resources. We simply said, if you don't do these things, we're going to impose real costs on them. And so we did not get, Tony, during our time, we did not get to the conditions where we felt comfortable that we could complete the withdrawal of our forces. And so President Trump never instructed us to do that. We we maintained the posture, the deterrence posture that would deliver on behalf of the United States of America, all the while working to try to convince the Taliban and the other Afghans, too. We shouldn't focus just on them. There are lots of there are lots of bad guys in the region to convince the others that are part of what will ultimately have to be an Af Afghan reconciliation. I pray that that takes place quickly. I'm not optimistic, but I, I pray for it. We've got Christians at risk. We, we, we know all of these things. We were working to deliver those set of conditions. They did not occur before we departed office. And therefore, we made the decision that we weren't going to leave until they got them done. Well, you made in the previous segment, uh, as we were wrapping up, you said 25, uh, basically 2,500 troops that were there. That footprint was there. It uh, secured the airport. It secured the base and no attacks on Americans. I mean, that's a, a small price to pay for peace. I know we don't we didn't want to be there eternally, but um, when you look at the chaos that has ensued and the lives, quite frankly, I think are going to be lost of religious minorities and others as a result of our the debacle of our retreat, uh, it seems like it we could have stayed a little bit longer with those 2,500 troops to hold them at bay, and not to mention the strategic nature of that uh, air base that's there. Oh, yeah, I think that's true. Uh, we didn't, when we left in January, we, we didn't have a date where we could see that we could pick out uh, on the calendar. We didn't see the date that those conditions would be met. You, you always live in hope that you'll get to that place and get there right. as quickly as you can. But we, we hadn't yet been able to see that we thought there was a pathway forward to the date. Uh, but we, we knew this, too. The, the other thing that was different was the Taliban knew, the Taliban clearly knew, that President Trump and our team was prepared to impose costs on them. This is the difference. This is why I think we were able to right. hold that deterrence model with just a couple thousand folks on the ground, and the Biden administration couldn't do so. The Taliban came to see that they could push in the checkpoint, push in a provincial capital, push in a community, and America would withdraw. And when you push and withdraw, you, they see weakness, and so they began to roll up other parts of the country and ultimately put pressure on the capital in Kabul. They, they, they didn't put pressure on the capital in Kabul under the Trump administration because we right. were very clear about what would happen if they did. Uh, Secretary Pompeo, but that weakness was not contained in terms of its perception and its, well, the reality of it was not contained within the borders of Afghanistan. I mean, I think our other enemies, China, North Korea, they're all watching this. Tony, as a, a larger, more, more strategic matter, you are absolutely right. You, you should know that I saw so clearly. When, when the United States struck the IRGC, leader Qasem Soleimani, the whole world took note. We could watch leaders around the world saying America is serious about protecting its interests. When those same leaders observe weakness from an American president, whether that's Chairman Kim in North Korea or Xi Jinping in China or Vladimir Putin in Russia, when they sense uh, 
that America will retreat when pushed. They're they're going to push. I one of the greatest losses from what's happened these past three weeks now is American credibility to our friends and the absence of fear from our enemies that will ensue from American weakness. Um, one final question for you, Mr. Secretary. I know that uh, you have a strategic mind. You are looking globally. Where do you think the next threat comes from? What What's the next shoe to fall as a result, or next domino, I should say, to fall as a result of this uh, display of weakness by America? I think we've increased the risk of a couple of things happening in the relatively near future. First, other terrorists, other radical Islamic jihadists will see that America can be pushed. And so whether that's al-Shabaab in Africa or uh, al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula in Yemen or any of the other places we find these radical Islamic terrorists, I think they will see that there's more room. Uh, remember, they were able to create an entire caliphate in Syria that took the Trump administration to put back against. So this model of America's unwillingness to do what we need to do to protect from terrorism, I think they'll see and they'll seize upon that. I, I fear that. Uh, the other thing is I, I do worry for places like Taiwan where there are high tensions and bad actors that want to move. I wonder if the leaders there won't also sense that America is not prepared to do the things that um, it ought to rightly do to defend its friends and be partners with its allies, and there'll be a push from the Chinese there. Well, Mr. Secretary, once again, we're out of time. I could uh, spend all day talking with you about this because I think these things are extremely important for many, many reasons for us and for our allies and for, in particular, religious minorities around the globe. And again, I want to thank you for the work you did in the Trump administration and I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. Bless you. Have a good day, sir. All right. Uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. All right. Don't go away. After the break, we're coming back with more Washington Watch right after this. What is religious freedom and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash IRF to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom. Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray, Vote, Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts, 
visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, if you'd like to uh, to join in the relief effort, frc.org slash relief. A little bit later, we're going to be talking with the pastor of First Baptist Church, Homa, Louisiana, one of the hardest hit areas of the state. But first, uh, the House Armed Services Committee has been holding an all-day markup hearing for the National Defense Authorization Act. This is an annual bill. Um, this funds our military, also has some kind of some policy elements to it. This uh, this hearing will go way into the night. And after last uh, the last U.S. military personnel evacuated Afghanistan on Monday, Republican members of the committee introduced a number of amendments to the bill that would hold the Biden administration accountable for the uh, debacle that took place uh, as America left Afghanistan. Uh, earlier today, uh, the committee took a break, and during that break, Congressman Jim Banks of the 3rd District of Indiana, who served, uh, who actually still continues to serve in the U.S. Navy Reserves, he is uh, the ranking member of the House Armed Services Committee, as well as a member of the Veterans Affairs and Education Labor Committees, and chairman of the uh, Republican Study Committee, and uh, he talked with me earlier. Joining us now is Congressman Jim Banks of Indiana. Congressman, thanks so much for uh, taking time to talk with me and stepping out of the Armed Services Committee hearing today. The uh, Congress, uh, the uh, the House uh, Armed Services Committee, taking up the National. Uh, Defense Authorization Act. This is the measure in which we've heard a lot about the Republicans holding the administration accountable for what is and what has unfolded in Afghanistan. Give us the latest on what's happening in committee today. Well, Tony, first of all, uh, Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader, called uh, every Republican member of the House who is a veteran back to Washington this week, about somewhere between 40 and 50 of us and a few of the ranking members of the relevant Committees. We spent all day on Monday and Tuesday. We we spent time uh, in in meetings, being briefed about what's going on in Afghanistan. We spent time in the skiff with classified briefings about Afghanistan. We went down to the floor yesterday and demanded uh, votes and an opportunity. And when session was open yesterday, not a single Democrat showed up except for the one who was in the chair 
for the Speaker, the Speaker of the House is MIA. She's nowhere, Nancy Pelosi is nowhere to be found, but we've been hard at work doing everything that we can to, to strategize as Republican members of Congress what we can do to bring every American home safely and hold the Biden administration accountable for the catastrophe that they've caused uh, in Afghanistan. Just so happens that today is the markup, the uh, the annual markup of the National Defense Authorization Act, the only bill that we pass every year related to the military. And, and uh, throughout the evening, probably late into the night, early morning hours, we're going to be debating a number of amendments about Afghanistan, probably most importantly, designating whether or not we can, we should designate the Taliban as a foreign terrorist organization. turns out that they're not. The, the Taliban of Pakistan is. Uh, ISIS is. But now the administration, you have, you have General Milley and Secretary Austin appearing before the cameras this morning and talking about how we're going to work with the Taliban. Uh, even even uh, Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, hinting that we're going to give money to the Taliban. Uh, not only is it good enough that the Biden administration handed over the keys to the country to the Taliban, but now it sounds like this administration wants to reward them. And many of us, especially on the Republican side, believe that that would be a big mistake and are going to fight to, to name the Taliban a foreign terrorist organization to block it. I assume that there will also be uh, some discussions uh, about the uh, the material that was left behind, the weapons that are now in the hands of the Taliban? Uh, you, you, absolutely. That's a big part of our, our many of the amendments that we've offered uh, this evening. And a, a, a really important bill, by the way, that my friend Mike Gallagher from Wisconsin uh, went, went down to the microphone yesterday on the floor and was gaveled gaveled uh, down. Uh, the, the, the speaker-designee wouldn't even recognize Mike Gallagher to give us a, a vote on a bill to do just that, to account for the equipment. Nearly $85 billion worth of vehicles, weapons and ammunition, medical supplies, night vision goggles, a whole lot of other things. By the way, Tony, when I was deployed to Afghanistan, this is what I was a part of, the train, advise, and equip mission to give this equipment to the Afghan army and the Afghan police to fight against the Taliban, but because of the uh, the hasty withdrawal, the negligence, the uh, the stupidity of the Biden administration, all of that material has ended up in the hands of the Taliban. There was never a plan to evacuate it, to destroy it, to prevent it from falling into the hands of our enemy. And even worse, it's not just uh, it's not bad enough that the Taliban has it. I guarantee you the ISIS-K, mm-hmm. uh, which makes the Taliban look like a Mickey Mouse organization, is going to end up with a lot of this equipment as well. And ultimately, they'll use it, I fear, against Americans who are trapped there or against Americans who have to go back into Afghanistan in the future to eradicate the ISIS-K threat that's, that's uh, developed on Joe Biden's watch. Uh, Congressman, before I have to let you <clears throat> excuse me, go back to uh, committee, there are other issues that are going to be addressed in the National Defense Authorization Act or the NDAA, one of which you're going to address, and that is uh, how the military is being targeted with this critical race theory. Yeah, that, uh, I'm going to offer an amendment here in the next few hours that would ban critical race theory from being pushed on our troops. It, there's no place in our schools and definitely in our military for critical race theory, but we have some of the nation's top uh, officers, uh, General Milley came before an armed services committee and talked about how he was. He talked about how he was really interested in learning more about white rage, and he was pushing critical race theory. Uh, Tony, this isn't sustainable. It's not sustainable to teach the next generation or our men and women who put on the uniform that America is racist or inherently evil, and expect that we can sustain 
this great country. And that, that's why I'm going to do everything I can to block it. I have number, a number of co-sponsors in my amendment who are helping me fight it. We're going to force these Democrats to vote with us to ban critical race theory. There's no place in our military. We have an opportunity today to ban it uh, from the military once and for all. Uh, finally, uh, Congressman Banks, I mean, that speaks to the uh, twisted priorities, I think, of this administration when, um, in the military. When we, we saw what just unfolded in Afghanistan, during that same time, uh, the top enlisted uh, man for the Army pushing diversity the same day that we lost uh, 13 of our men in, uh, men in uniform there in, uh, in Afghanistan. Is this just a... The, the, the priorities, are they mixed up, and do we need to get back to fighting and winning wars? It's all about priorities, and the, the focus of, of, this, of the military on Joe Biden's watch as commander-in-chief has had nothing to do with lethality, with making sure that our men, men and women downrange have all the tools that they need so that we never fight in a fair fight, that America always has an advantage. That should be the priority, but this administration has been focused on critical race theory, on the, on, on wokeness in the military, on pushing, on beating up on uh, people because of their, their political beliefs, especially if they're on the right, punishing pe- people because of that. That's been the priority of this administration. This, by the way, this administration believes that anyone who wears the uniform who happened to vote, who happened to have voted for Donald Trump in the 2020 election is an extremist. Yeah. And that, and that, that's been their mission to rid uh, people like you and me and any any uh, anyone with conservative beliefs out of the military and call call it extremism. They've paid a lot more focus and attention on that. General Milley talked about more about uh, how he wanted to learn more about white rage, whatever that means, uh, than he ever talked about uh, get, uh, what what the plan was to get out of Afghanistan safely without losing American lives, which we tragically did. So it's all about priorities. This administration has backwards priorities. And in the NDAA markup today, we're going to force their hand on it. All right, Congressman Jim, Brand- Jim Banks, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, taking time to join us today. Thank you, Tony. Have a good day. Again, that was uh, Congressman Jim Banks. Talked with him earlier as he stepped out of the Armed Services Committee hearing, which is still going on. It'll go on late into the night, and we'll obviously be tracking it, talk about it, talk about it uh, tomorrow. All right. As we've been doing so far in this program, we're going to uh, take some time uh, to highlight the situation uh, in Louisiana and Mississippi, which have been hit extremely hard by Hurricane Ida. I've, uh, as I've said before, these storms are becoming very frequent, um, becoming a veteran of these uh, hurricanes. But I want to go to a good friend, uh, Pastor Steve Fulmar, who is the senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Houma, Louisiana, FRC uh, actually had one of our first men's conferences there at First Baptist Homa. That area has been hit extremely hard, and uh, we're going to get an update from uh, Pastor Steve. Pastor Steve, are you with us? I'm here. Thank you. Well, uh, give our listeners a sense of what's happening there on the ground and the, uh, the, the, the devastation that you've seen as a result of Hurricane Ida. Well, as you probably heard, they said this is like the fifth strongest storm to ever hit our country. Um, our, our little town of Homa is pretty much devastated. Uh, everybody's got damage. And, of course, a lot of them uh, severe damage. Their homes are going to have to be gutted and practically rebuilt. And so uh, 
the good thing is, um, man, God's people are coming in, Tony. They, uh, Samaritan's Purse, Disaster Relief for the Baptist Convention, uh, you name it. People are are just flowing into town uh, to help. Uh, I've been on the phone for three days <clears throat> with pastors around the country uh, coordinating with me, wanting to come and help. And uh, I know other pastors have been doing the same thing. The Cajun Navy is on the scene uh, doing what they do, which they do very well. And uh, so it's a bleak situation, but there's a lot of hope there, a lot of a lot of good people doing a lot of good things already. Yeah, it was almost uh, five years ago exactly. Uh, I was hosting Samaritan's Purse at, uh, at my church in Greenville Springs after the uh, major floods in Louisiana. And uh, in in the midst of these storms and challenges are great opportunities to minister to people who are hurting both physically and spiritually. And I know you'll be focused on that like a laser as you minister there. And your church is actually going to be a hub of ministry. As you said, Samaritan's Purse is setting up there. We're partnering with them. How can people help? Well, you can never have too many tarps or too much water. Uh, Our water system is down. So people right now have no water other than bottled water being brought in, and there's no electricity, and it's going to be weeks before a lot of that's back on. Um, So, you know, anything people want to send, I call it the basics, tarps, generators, gas, water, you know, is is helpful. If they just want to give monetarily, they can go to our website. Tony, we just had a, a, a name change. Uh, just a few weeks ago, <clears throat> so the website is Covenant Church Homa H O U M A dot com. They can click on giving, and a disaster relief tab will drop down, and uh, they can give through our website if they would like. Every dime of that'll go to help people. We don't need the money, and um, you know, just anything they can do will be greatly appreciated. Well, we're certainly encouraging that, and uh, we're encouraging people as well to go to the Samaritan's Purse site and register to volunteer, uh, and you will be, as I understand, you'll be housing some of those volunteers down there that come to work with the crew in uh, in Homa. Uh, Pastor Steve, how are you doing? How, how's you and you, how are your family, uh, how's your family doing? Well, thank you. I, I, I did very well, very cosmetic damage. Uh, the church has a little cosmetic damage. Our school pretty much lost the roof, but, but nothing bad, mostly shingle damage. So we came out good on the ministry side. Two of my three sons live in home, and they both pretty much lost their houses. Uh, we'll be completely rebuilding both of those, most likely. Uh, so, you know, it, it is it is what it is. Yeah. Well, I encourage you, uh, and I know in the midst of this, I've been there before, uh, just get some rest, stay focused, and know that uh, many, many people are praying for you, and and help is on the way. Yes, I know that, and I know you understand. Uh, We we went up to Greenwell Springs in the floods and uh, rebuilt houses up there. Our people are are used to going out and and helping, so this is a unique position for them to be in. We 
we uh, tend to take care of ourselves. It's a Cajun spirit. You understand that. I, and, I understand, um, but sometimes we've got to receive from others. Yeah, it's going to be hard for them, but but uh, I, I hope they will, you know. All right. Well, Press Steve, look forward to seeing you soon. And um, you are in our prayers, but more than that, we're going to be uh, on top of that. We're going to be helping as well. So good to talk with you. Thanks for joining us. We'll be in touch soon. Thank you, Tony. God bless. All right. Uh, Pastor Steve Fulmar. He's a senior pastor of, uh, at a name change, Covenant Church there in Homa, formerly First Baptist Church of Homa. And I do encourage you to join with uh, FRC is one option. We put $25,000 forward to match with our listeners to help those that have been impacted. That money is going to go to Samaritan's Purse uh, that is partnering with Pastor Steve. It'll go to Steve's church to help them. We're sending some water down right away because they have no water. Uh, and other things that are essential here in the first uh, several days and weeks. And I was talking with some of the sheriff's law enforcement officials. It's going to be weeks before the power is restored in many parts of the state. Well, folks, I want to thank you for listening. I want to encourage you to pray for those all across this nation being impacted by these natural disasters. And ask God, what does he say? What do we need to be doing as a nation? Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.